Wrestling, at its core, is entertainment. Nothing more, nothing less, plain and simple entertainment. Just like a carnival is entertainment, or picking on your little brother is entertainment. And of course, movies and TV are entertainment. Ways to escape from your current reality and be transported to a faraway land with characters who are bigger than life. You've got good guys to root for, bad guys to hate, a long-developed storyline that culminates in a big-time blow-off that hopefully leaves the audience satisfied and wanting more. My god, is anything more wrestling than that? Wrestling stories told on the big and small screen seems like a natural fit. However, a lot of these attempts have been bad. Some in the so-bad-that-it's-good-fun kind of bad, and others that are so bad that they're not worth the film that was used to record them. But, since we are all on lockdown and the world is crumbling around us, we need to fill a lot of time. And what better way to do that than tell you about 10 wrestling features you should watch while in quarantine. Hit the music. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Closet Champion Podcast. I am your host, the reigning, rarely defending, highly quarantined champion of wrestling podcasts, Mike Mueller. On this week's episode, we'll take a brief look at the history of wrestling and cinema, highlight a few wrestlers who have successfully made it in the world of Hollywood, and, of course, count down the 10 movies and shows that I'm watching to kill the time during this unprecedented era of our lives. Before we get started, I want to give another shout out to Matt Dietrich and Antonio Morelli of The Last Page for making the kick-ass theme music for my show. Every single time I hear it, I get goosebumps, so thank you guys so much for that. It's absolutely amazing, and I'm so thrilled. Uh, I cannot wait for The Last Page to drop their first album because you know it's going to be amazing, and as soon as they do, I'm going to be the first one promoting that stuff. But anyway, let's get on to the subject at hand, wrestling in cinema. Now, one quick thing to note is that for this list, I'm still going to put the uh, movies and shows in order of my least favorite to most favorite, but I'm not going to be presumptuous enough to actually call them like the top 10. There's a lot of movies, specifically documentaries, that I haven't seen yet, and a few of these movies towards the bottom of my top 10 list are downright terrible. And although they're fun in a guilty pleasure sort of way, I really don't feel comfortable putting them in a legit top 10 list because I'm sure there's a lot of movies out there that would make the list over some of my uh, some of my bottom feeders, so to say. But anyway, let's get going. A brief history of wrestling being presented on the big screen. And let me be the first to say it. Uh, I've said it already, but wrestling movies are pretty bad almost unanimously. There's a few 
that are downright good films. But for most of these, from the 1930s all the way to the 2010s, you kind of have to apply the pro-wrestling curve, so to speak, when you're judging these films. Uh, The films are made for a pretty niche market. Uh, So amazing scripts and amazing acting tends to not be at the forefront of most of these movies. But with that being said, given that we've been given dozens of Hollywood movies based around pro wrestling, the niche has to be respected, otherwise they wouldn't keep making these films. Let's start all the way back in 1938. 1938 was the first uh, pro wrestling movie that I could find uh, as far as a legit feature film. It was called Swing Your Lady featuring Humphrey Bogart. It was a country musical comedy that centered around a manager who's having a hard time finding opponents for his big time wrestler. And he thinks that a good gimmick would be for him to fight the toughest woman in town. However, the wrestler ends up falling in love with the woman, his would-be opponent, so the manager needs to find a replacement for his fighter and instead decides to make the woman the prize of the fight, where the woman gets gets the lovely lady. And uh, chauvinism aside, I think it's actually pretty impressive to see Hollywood in 1938 take such a progressive idea like a man fighting a woman and make it the center of the story for a film. You know, this is in a day when many people think that wrestling is still a real sport. And in fact, this came out in 1938. 1938 is when newspapers stopped covering professional wrestling in the sports section because they finally caught on. So not only is this movie made in a time when kayfabe is still being protected for the audience, but it's made in a time when even the non-marks, quote-unquote people that don't like wrestling, still thought it was legitimate. At least enough of them thought it was legitimate. So I thought that was very impressive. Uh, 1950 brought on a movie called Night and the City about a small-time thief becoming a major wrestling promoter. I will be watching this shortly after I finish this broadcast, so I'm going to let everybody know my thoughts on it on the next episode. But it did get a 7.9 rating on IMDb, which compared to most other wrestling movies or documentaries is unbelievably high. So if you have the opportunity, check out Night and the City, as I will be doing, and we can compare notes. Moving on to another major point in wrestling and cinema history is 1978's Paradise Alley. Uh, It was Sylvester Stallone's vanity project. He wrote, directed, and starred in the film. And the traditional Hollywood logic says that if someone writes, directs, and stars in a film, it's usually pretty shitty. And they are correct. Paradise Alley is a shitty movie. I made it exactly 32 minutes into it and had to turn it off. The acting is downright appalling by everybody, including Stallone. Uh, But when someone like Sylvester Stallone attaches their name to a wrestling movie, it makes a big difference as far as pop culture goes. And this movie was actually set to a wide release in theaters. Uh, It didn't do amazing in the theaters, but, you know, someone like Sylvester Stallone putting their name onto a wrestling movie is definitely good for the wrestling industry as a whole. 
And that was 1978, which led us directly into the 80s, which is where mainstream success of wrestling really happens for the first time on a big scale. And the list of 80s wrestling movies, there's a lot of them. Um, some would say Rocky III counts as a wrestling movie, and they have a point. I'm not going to disagree with them. But even if it didn't, the 80s is flooded with wrestling movies. You have All the Marbles, uh, Blood Circus, Grunt, and a couple movies that are actually on the list, so I'm going to save them and we'll talk about them in a minute. Uh, going into that, or after that, I should say, we've got the 90s, which saw a focus on some really good documentaries. Uh, wrestling was becoming more popular than ever, even more popular than it was in the 80s. And in the late 90s and early 2000s, both documentaries and feature films based on wrestling became very fashionable. Uh, Ready to Rumble was, a again, another very widely released film and actually played a direct role in David Arquette becoming the WCW champion. So, yeah, let that sink in for a second. Uh, the same title that was held by Sting, Hulk Hogan, Ron Simmons, Randy Savage, Ric Flair is now being held by a goofball actor and wrestling fanboy. Uh, I find it ironic that given wrestling's longevity in this country, the real Wild West days of pro wrestling happened like 20 years ago. Uh, well, oh God, maybe 25 years ago now. Oh, we're getting old. But still pretty crazy to think that that was some of the wildest times and they were so recent in wrestling memory. Uh, since then, mainstream culture has remained interested enough in pro wrestling to give it a primetime spot on network TV. SmackDown is on Fox. And several wrestlers have broken out of the pro wrestling bubble and actually made it big time in Hollywood. The most notable of these is, of course, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I don't think there's any question about that. Movies like The Scorpion King, The Fast and the Furious franchise, The Jumanji franchise... Moana, and a bunch of nondescript action movies uh, like that San Andreas and a bunch of other ones. He's been in a ton of them. Uh, I think he's definitely the most successful crossover into legitimate acting. Uh, however, if The Rock's acting ability is maybe a little too good for you and you want something a little more cheesy, you need some more cheese in your life, and we all do, may I suggest uh, some of Hulk Hogan's fine films? I don't spend a lot of time talking about Hulk Hogan on this podcast because I do not like him as a human being or as a wrestler, but what I will say I do enjoy is the many shitty films that Hulk Hogan has made. Uh, they're all pretty equally terrible, uh, but I believe that they are so terrible that they're actually worth watching. You've got Mr. Nanny, you've got Santa with Muscles, you've got Thunder in Paradise, You've got Three Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain, which is by far the worst of the Three Ninjas movies, and that is saying something. But my personal favorite is Suburban Commando. If you haven't seen Suburban Commando, find a way to check it out. You get a small appearance by The Undertaker in there as well, actually, before The Undertaker... Uh, no, I'm sorry, slightly after The Undertaker debuted in the WWF. He was brand new, uh, but he finds his way into this movie as well, playing the strong silent type. Imagine that. But beyond The Rock and Hulk Hogan, you've got Batista, who's been in Guardians of the Galaxy and Avengers movies. Roddy Piper was in They Live. Uh, he had a great role in Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He was in Body Slam, which we're going to talk about in a minute. John Cena has been in a ton of things like Trainwreck and Sisters. His role in Sisters is one of my absolute favorites. Again, a small role, but just fantastic. 
Uh, Jesse Ventura had some huge roles in Predator and Running Man, along with being in Batman and Robin and Demolition Man, and even had a part in Major League Two, the sequel to that. Uh, And of course, if we're talking about uh, wrestlers in acting, how can anyone forget Andre the Giant's legendary performance in The Princess Bride? So yes, wrestling and mainstream Hollywood do indeed go hand in hand. And without further ado, I want to talk about the top 10 wrestling movies and TV shows that I'm watching and you should watch while we're all riding out this apocalypse. Number 10, No Holds Barred. This was the first uh, feature film made directly by the WWF, and it focuses on a TV company who is last in the ratings, and they want to get Rip, who is Hulk Hogan and is exactly Hulk Hogan. There's no difference between Rip and Hulk Hogan. Uh, This TV network wants to steal Rip to help their struggling network, and he refuses because he's loyal to the WWF, and that's very important. And we learned that throughout the movie. You have to stay loyal to the WWF. Uh, So what is this TV company's solution to not being able to get Rip slash Hulk Hogan? Well, they're going to try to kill him in the ring with someone that they discovered in a barroom brawl type tough man contest named Zeus. Um, Objectively, this is the worst acted movie on the list. There's no question about it. Um, but to me, it's still fun. I loved this movie as a kid because I loved everything wrestling as a kid. Um, as a kid, I thought the movie was kind of dark and gritty and scary. And looking back on it now as an adult, this is just plain cheese, but it's really fun. Uh, my favorite part of the movie is Hulk Hogan's face during any serious moment. It's always ugh, incredible. And also when he explodes out of the top of the limousine. You don't have to watch the movie for too long. That's actually fairly early on in the movie. Uh, and that's just ah, wonderfully terrible, as most of, this movie, uh, most of these movies are. Moving on, number nine for me on wrestling movies is Nacho Libre, a more recent one featuring Jack Black, who plays a cook in a Mexican monastery. And he becomes a pro wrestler to help raise money so the monastery can keep feeding orphans. Very nice, uh, wholesome kind of concept here. This is a Nickelodeon movie, and I'm very surprised that it was a Nickelodeon production. One, I think it's a surprisingly funny film for Nickelodeon. It's not too goofy and ridiculous. Uh, And it also pokes a little bit of fun at Catholicism, which is surprising for a Nickelodeon movie to me. It doesn't bash it by any means, but um, it paints it in a very um, old school, not with the times kind of dated sort of way of thinking, which is, again, interesting for Nickelodeon to kind of have that uh, stance on a movie. Uh, Jack Black, like I said, is the main character, and to me, Jack Black is always better used in a supporting role. Uh, This is no different. I get tired of the Jack Black shtick uh, toward the end of the movie, but it does keep me entertained pretty much for the whole time. Like I said, it's very, very goofy, but I don't think it focused too much on being ridiculous for the sake of entertaining seven-year-olds. You can watch it as an adult and still find joy in it. 
My favorite part of the movie, uh, weirdly, was the music throughout. There were very strange songs. If you listen to the words, um, some of them, again, are kind of dark again. But I think they did a great job in contributing to the oddball feel that this movie was definitely going for. Uh, they're good songs by and large, but again, not what I would expect from Nickelodeon. But they did do a great job of helping keep the tone of the movie consistent. And uh, it's it very strange. It was a strange experience, but it was an experience worth having. Number eight on the list is Body Slam. Uh, this I don't think this was made by WWF, but um, it pretty much is a WWF movie. Uh, the main actor is a down on his luck music manager who kind of bullshits his way into becoming Roddy Piper's wrestling manager. He's, I think he's Dick Robbins or something like that in, in the movie, but it's Roddy Piper. And again, not too much of a stretch on the Roddy Piper character. Uh, the manager soon realizes he's in over his head with his wrestlers, but he needs to make money. And sure enough, as any good wholesome movie does, well, it's not wholesome, and we'll get to that in a second. But as any good movie does, the manager teaches the wrestlers a thing of t- thing or two, and of course, they end up teaching him a thing or two about himself. Aww. Uh, the movie, like I said, is chock full of wrestlers. You've got uh, Tonga from the um, Islanders, Roddy Piper. You got the Barbarian, who was part of Powers of Pain at the time. Lots of actors all throughout. Um, and as we know, wrestlers are not great actors. This movie is not very well acted. But uh, one of the highlights and exceptions to that is Roddy Piper, who I think is an incredible actor and, in my opinion, does a better acting job than the main character himself, who is actually, I can't remember his name right now, and shame on me for not writing it down. But he was one of the main guys on the original A-Team and not Mr. T. Um, Beyond just the acting, I think the music and sound effects are very awful in this movie. They're very cheesy and very over-the-top. not in a good way, in a jarring way. They stand out. And this movie, to me, the most interesting thing about it is that it's rated PG. And if you watch this movie, this is not a PG movie by today's standards. Not even close. Um, you've got a white guy doing a pretty terrible Mexican impression. You've got language that would never be considered PG in this day and age. Um a lot of stuff i'm not going to go in and say it here because it would just be um you know profanity for the sake of profanity but it's pretty interesting what was acceptable back then and what was not acceptable back then um but to me what makes this movie so great is it's the 80s and what do you need in any great 80s film a montage and we got a montage folks that's what makes it great that's what makes all movies great is the montage uh i feel like um this movie, honestly, was made to be released or should have been released in congruence with WrestleMania because, again, it's a music manager and it ties in rock and roll and wrestling a lot. And given that the wrestlers here were exclusively, pretty much almost exclusively, WWF talent, um, I really thought when I was watching this, oh, man, they must have made this to, to build up WrestleMania, having you know, wrestlers and music and acting all come together. But this actually came out in 1986, a year after the first WrestleMania happened. So I'm not sure uh, they may have just decided it was the right time to make the film. But either way, it's an interesting movie nonetheless. And my favorite part is definitely uh, Roddy Piper 
going to the manager's house. His name is Harry. He goes to Harry's house and convinces Harry to come back. Uh, it's the turning point in the movie. And while this sounds like a very cheesy uh, point in a movie, I thought it was actually delivered really, really well. I thought Roddy Piper was amazing in doing it. I didn't get that cheese vibe at all. It was very, very convincing and proof that Roddy can act. So check out Body Slam if for no other reason than to see a wrestler other than The Rock do a pretty decent job of acting. Number seven, it's the first documentary on this list called Hitman Heart Wrestling with Shadows. Uh, this documentary features, uh, it follows Bret Hart in the year leading up to the Montreal Screwjob. And I got to say, after I watched this movie, I'm more convinced than ever that the Montreal Screwjob was a work the whole time. Uh, I wasn't very impressed with the production as a whole of this documentary. It seemed overly produced for a documentary, and I kind of had a hard time sort of believing the legitimate le- legitimacy of it. Um, there were several conversations that happened on camera that seemed very scripted to me, and it didn't seem like a natural tone that people would be using if they were really just talking and and not acting. You know, again, wrestlers aren't actors, and it kind of exposes this, in my opinion. If it's a work, you know, if it was an issue. People in the know, people on the inside still to this day insist that it was all real and only a few people knew, so maybe they were right. But either way, like I said, I I find a lot of the conversations to be uh, feeling like very contrived. My favorite part of this documentary is definitely after the screw job happens and the backstage talk between Brett and Sean and then Brett's wife in the hallway with Triple H and others. Um, that was the some of the realest sounding interactions that people had on the film. And again, like I said, I'm not totally sure if it's real or not. But if I had to, if I was a betting man, uh, I would say that it was definitely a work. I'd put a dollar on it. We'll put it that way. I'd put a dollar on the screw job being the work for sure. But it's still worth watching because it takes place at such a, a seminal time in wrestling history. And for that reason alone, it's worth watching. Sticking with the documentaries, actually, my next several are all documentaries now that I look at it. Uh, number six is Beyond the Mat, perhaps the most famous wrestling documentary. It is a great peek behind the curtain, so to say. Uh, this one came out in 1999. You know, Attitude Era and Reality were very much at their peak within wrestling. They blurred those lines a lot intentionally. Uh, Beyond the Mat didn't really have an overall story. It was more of just kind of like a series of segments. And when it came out, it was extremely controversial. Looking back on it now, it doesn't seem that controversial. Uh, But there's plenty of great, great moments in there. Um, The Jake Roberts part is just absolutely heartbreaking. You wonder, how did that guy not die? It's a miracle. Really, it is a miracle that he's still with us. Um, My favorite part of the whole documentary is the uh, time that they focus on Mick Foley. Um, His family was in attendance for Royal Rumble 99, where he gets just absolutely demolished in the head by about a thousand chair shots from The Rock. Actually, I think it's 11, but it feels like a thousand. Um, But there's a great moment in the documentary where 
you know, the camera crew was there and they were filming Mick's family's reaction to what was happening in the ring. So in the documentary, they play that footage for Mick as he's sitting down with his family. And he was saying, for the first time in my life, I, I feel like I'm a bad dad. And it's, just, it's very real and it shows kind of the struggle that, you know, these wrestlers have with also having a real life and the impact of what their job does, not only on them and their health, but on the well-being of their family too. It's pretty fascinating. Number five on my list of wrestling-related entertainment to watch during this uh, quarantine is a newer documentary series out called Dark Side of the Ring. It is on Vice. They tackle a lot of subjects that are quote-unquote taboo in pro wrestling. Uh, they talk about you know the tragedy of the Von Erich family. They talk about the Bruiser Brody murder. Uh, they talk about Randy Savage and Elizabeth and their incredibly um, tumultuous and dynamic relationship. Talk about a lot of stuff. Uh, my favorite thing that they've done is actually what they've done most recently. They just started uh, season two, and they kicked it off with a two-part uh expose, I guess you could say, on the Chris Benoit murder, uh, murder-suicide that happens. Very, very dark subject, very heavy, um, definitely less surface level than a lot of the other ones, I will say that. Um, I wasn't overly impressed with the first part. Again, I thought it was too surface level, but the second part brought it to a great finish. And it's making me think that actually maybe all of these things should be two-parters. And you spend an hour maybe doing more of the surface level kind of stuff, getting in the non-hardcore wrestling fans who are just wanting to look for a good documentary. Give them you know, a, a surface level overview. But then by hour two, if they're still around, you've got them hooked. So I think this might be the better way for them to go because I think a lot of uh, the ones that were done in season one were, like I said, a, a bit too... They didn't dig deep enough for me, um, but it's still very well done. They talk to a lot of great people in every episode. Um, they do a good job of that, and I'm curious to see where they go from here. I hope they keep going because they're doing some good work. Number four, the last documentary on this list, my personal favorite wrestling documentary. Uh, it's called Card Subject to Change, and it has a bit of the same feel as Beyond the Mat has to it, but there's some very, very big differences. Uh, first, to me, where Beyond the Mat is focused on the higher levels of wrestling, you know, Mick Foley and The Rock and Terry Funk all at the WWF level. Uh, Card Subject to Change focuses much more on the indies and kind of the uh, ride that wrestlers go on throughout their career, kind of beginning at the indies, starting at the indies, all that stuff. They focus on a lot of people. Uh, the Trent Acid aspect is just... Um, heartbreaking they follow that throughout the documentary uh, they do a great little bit on Rhett Titus and seeing him with his young son and again the effects that you know wrestling has on a young person that's starting a family it's very cool and it's cool to see Rhett Titus so young he's still in the industry right now he's doing some great work in Ring of Honor definitely find a way pull it up on you know YouTube or, or Daily Motion or something and see some uh, Rhett Titus work. I think he's a really good wrestler. Um, but beyond that, Card Subject to Change focused a lot on big name stars like Kevin Sullivan, Kamala, Paul Bearer, Billy Gunn, uh, Billy Kidman, all these big names who are now at this stage of their careers back in the Indies. And it's interesting to see them now go back. They've been to the top of the mountain and now they're on their way back down. 
Uh, other things that Card Subject to Change does really well is it tackles the steroid issue in a way that Beyond the Mat just doesn't even really cover. And I think as a whole film, Card Subject to Change does a much better job of following a few stories from beginning to end and kind of interweaving them throughout the other stories that are being told. And that's actually my favorite part of the whole movie is it focuses on a independent wrestling promoter out of New Jersey who brings in a lot of these former, you know, big name talents. Uh, But seeing him and the way he kind of runs his business and what it takes to be a promoter on the indie level, um, it it shines a light on a lot of things that I think Beyond the Mat um, could have and just chose not to, instead focusing more on the big name stars, which makes sense. Uh, But I think as a whole, Card Subject to Change, definitely the best wrestling documentary that I've seen up to this point. Number three on this list, the most recent edition, is uh, Fighting with My Family. It's the true story of Paige and how she made it up to the WWE. Uh, There is nothing really surprising storyline-wise. It's a pretty straightforward, classic Hollywood um, tale, uh, three-act part, the whole thing. But it was remarkably funny and way better acted than I expected. Uh, this was a WWE, WWE Studios film. And like I said, they don't tend to put out great movies. You'll notice, uh, you know, like the Marine movies were pretty awful. Uh, See No Evil with Kane. Like they've put out a lot of stuff, not a lot of great movies. But this, I think, was straight up a great movie. I was impressed all the way around. Um, my favorite part of the movie was definitely when Paige and her brother meet The Rock backstage for the first time. They keep asking him more and more questions, and you can see The Rock getting frustrated, but he's got to keep on the face, you know, of, of being the happy, you know, glad to be there for you pro wrestler, because these are his fans, and he's a professional. And I believe that any pro athlete or actor or anybody who's in the public eye all the time could probably relate very much to this scene. Um, And The Rock is an amazing actor, so it really comes across as very funny and very genuine. Uh, The trailer for this movie gave me very little hope of it being anything worthwhile, but it is uh, definitely worth watching. And just like the title says, it's kind of fun for the whole family too. It's, It's a little more adult than you expect it to be. Uh, so that's good for us grown-ups, and it's good for kids too, because it, at the end of the day, wrestling is about entertaining kids, as well as the 33-year-old marks who can't get over it, like myself. Uh, number two on this list is uh, the TV show Glow. There's also a documentary about the Glow, the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, and it's very good. But I think the uh, the TV show is just straight up better. It focuses on a down and out actress who's taking on a new role and becoming a pro wrestler. Um, this show is about wrestling very much in the same way that Weeds is about selling pot or Frasier was about psychoanalysis. Uh, wrestling is the central theme and what keeps the glue that keeps everything together. But the story is, the show is really about um, the story between the characters and the relationships that these characters have, like any great uh, show is about. It's about the characters. And they do a great job. I think it's very funny. It's obviously based in the 80s, and anyone who knows me knows that I'm a sucker for all things 80s pop culture. So I, I love the music and the uh, outfits and all of it. I think they do a great job of keeping it um, period specific and accurate. 
my favorite episode, I've given favorite parts of movies, but this is a, a show, so I'm going to tell you my favorite episode is actually the pilot. Um, Mark Marin's first line on the screen cracks me up every single time I hear it to this day. And I'm super impressed by it because pilots are very hit or miss. Oftentimes, even for a great show, the pilot will not be great because it needs to lay so much groundwork and get you invested in the people that the episode on its own oftentimes doesn't really tell a great story because it's focused so much on setting up the narrative. But this is not the case for Glow. And if you haven't watched it, give it a chance. It's on Netflix. And if you aren't hooked by the end of the first, maybe second episode, feel free to move on. It's not something like Game of Thrones where you have to watch for a long time before you really understand what's going on and before you get invested in all these people. And I'm not putting it on Game of Thrones level. Game of Thrones is a much better show. But um, I'm just using that as a comparison to say that if you don't watch, you don't have to watch Glow for an entire season to know if you're going to like it or not. You'll know in the first couple episodes, but give it a shot. I think it's really great. I think it's very, very funny. So before I tell you the number one wrestling movie on this list, let's do a quick recap uh, of the list so far. We started at number 10 with No Holds Barred, number nine, Nacho Libre, number eight, Body Slam, Number seven, Hitman Heart, Wrestling with Shadows. Number six, Beyond the Mat. Number five, Dark Side of the Ring. Number four, Card Subject to Change. Number three, Fighting with My Family. Number two, Glow, the TV show. And now the number one wrestling movie to watch while you are dealing with the quarantine apocalypse is none other than The Wrestler. Uh, this came out in 2008. It is, to me, objectively the best written and acted out of any of the films on this list. Uh, Mickey Rourke is a professional wrestler who's kind of like a lot of those wrestlers and card subject to change. Uh, he's had his peak and he's now on his way down. He's struggling with uh, his body breaking down, with his home life breaking down, trying to repair his home life, I should say. Um, so, so very good, so heartbreaking. Uh, Mickey Rourke actually won Golden Globe for Best Actor and was nominated uh, for an Oscar for Best Actor for his performance. I believe uh, Marissa Tomei was also nominated for an Oscar for her role in this. Uh, it's a smaller role, but it, it's powerful. And this really just does such a great job of taking you on a journey and even better than the documentaries, this movie really helps you realize what these guys go through, um, not only in a day to day basis, but just, you know, behind the scenes, you know, in the locker rooms, uh, the relationships that they have with each other, with their families. Um, it's very, very powerful stuff. My favorite part of the movie is actually toward the very end, um, where he's having his big comeback match and he's in the ring with. Ernest Miller, who plays a, a Middle Eastern type character, but it's it's Ernest the Cat Miller, for those of you familiar with uh, his work in the early 2000s with WCW and WWF. Um, but they're in the ring, and they're kind of calling the match and talking to each other in the ring. And that sort of stuff always fascinates me. I think it's done really well, but I also just love the subject of it and the concept of it. 
of hearing them call the spots that they then do and uh, kind of tell each other, he's like, man, this is a blast. I'm having a great time. And are you feeling all right? Make sure check your head on the spot. Like those sort of things that we as fans don't get to hear often. Uh, it's very cool to see how it's done uh, in a, in the moment kind of setting. We certainly are living in strange times, and the need for entertainment is very clearly stronger than ever. And hopefully these shows and movies are going to help you guys pass the time. As for me, I will be putting out another episode shortly where I'll discuss the current state of wrestling, what's going on for WrestleMania. I'll give my picks for the card as it currently stands, and I'll discuss anything else that you guys want to hear me talk about. If you're not already, follow me on Facebook and Twitter at ClosetChamp. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, whether you're listening on Apple, Google, Spotify, Anchor, any of the other platforms. Go ahead and give it a subscribe and a like so that way you stay up to date. As always, I love hearing from you guys. I love the feedback. Stay safe out there. Listen to the rules. Uh, This quarantine is annoying and obnoxious for everybody, but uh, the more serious we take it now the shorter period of time we will have to deal with it, and eventually it'll be a thing of the past. But until then, stay inside, stay safe. Uh, Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, I am your reigning, rarely defending, highly quarantined closet champion, Mike Mueller. I'm going to take the count out loss and get out of here with my belt. Good night, everybody.